Alrighty, nice to see you. Uh, it's a long time since uh, I was here first. In fact, can any of you say that you were here 27 years ago? One, one way. Uh, it's changed since then. I have to say it's very, very different uh, from the time I was here uh, when David just moved. I was in Aberdeen and we used to come down to the youth club on the Friday night. And uh, there is a little bit of myth that goes with my name. Uh, Roddy Barbas, uh, a nutter, and all that kind of stuff usually goes with it. I'm not too bad. I'm not too nuts. Uh, I'm a wee bit, I suppose. But anyway, aren't we all? Um, uh, one of the things that I used to do is play around with my glass eye. I've only got one eye, and I lost that in a car crash uh, in 1991, 7th of February, about 10 o'clock in the morning in, in a car crash in Lewis. But one of my abiding stories is that a young lad, I don't know where he is, he was called Ricey, uh, and we used to play football in the upper hall on a Friday night, and he was a wee bit of a handful. If you know where he is, tell him. I was asking for him if he's still with us. Uh, but um, one day I thought to myself, you know, he's really, he's really getting under my skin. And I was, he was behind me, and he was being really cheeky, you know, kind of, uh, right, I'm thinking to myself, right, what do I do, what do I do? And I went, I'll just give him a glass eye. So I popped it out like that, and I gave it a wee wipe. I turned around and, Ricey, hold that. <laughs> oh! Threw it back at me. Man, that was a bad deed, man. I can still hear the words. Man, that was a bad deed. And so, actually, he became actually uh, very good. Every time I saw him, he barely said a word. <laughs> Suffered from various trauma uh, for the rest of his days. So, there we go. Uh, but it's, it's fascinating coming back and seeing how the Lord has worked in this place and in Dundee. So, I praise God for that and I'm really delighted. So, um, the difficulty, of course, today is uh, the danger uh, for both you and me uh, in the context of preaching a sermon. Uh, the most important thing we have to remember, we're, we're not here primarily to listen to me or I'm not here primarily to preach to you, but to worship God. And we're going to do that through His Word. So if we can do that more than anything else, I would be really grateful for that, no matter what happens. But what, one of the things that really struck me was, what do I do in a, in a situation like this? I want to talk to you about um, um, where I'm at at the moment in terms of maybe my preaching style and why I'm doing the things that I'm doing. Um, Many, many years ago, uh, I was actually a fairly rough individual, uh, and so when I became a Christian, a lot of people doubted that the Lord could save someone like me. And uh, anyway, there was one individual that I, I remembered uh, who was a huge influence in my early days as a Christian. He was an elder in the Free Church in Stornoway. He was an ex-commando, uh, and uh, many a story he told about the Second World War and so on and so forth, but an amazing character. And his name was Dolan, Dolan Kai, or uh, Donald Mackay. Brilliant, brilliant guy. And uh, he came alongside me, and he helped me a great deal in my uh, early days, in my troublesome early days as a Christian. When someone like me has no background coming into the Christian church, it's hard. It's hard for the young guy uh, coming into the church, but it's also hard for the church. They don't know how to deal with a character like myself. And Andy and others will be dealing with plenty of people like that, or even worse than I was. But nonetheless, the Lord works with people like that. And so it was a real struggle. And in a sense, then, I go back to that early moment in my own Christian walk. And I'm thinking, what is happening to the church? Why is the church 
generally speaking, not everywhere. Uh, there are certain blips uh, around in different uh, parts of uh, Scotland. But uh, uh, when you look at the church and the demise of the church, and you look at the highlands, and you see this constant downward direction in terms of numbers, attending, and so on and so forth, I think one of the things that you see, if you put a tracing paper, and you put discipleship uh, in in the local church and in, in Christian life, and you put mark that and write that down and underline it, and then you look at the, the decline of the church, you will, f- you will follow the decline of the church along the lines of discipleship and the lack of discipleship in our individual lives, but also from the context of the local church, okay? And so that's, in a sense, why I've changed slightly in my approach um, and, and started to engage and, and look at means of grace that God uses for your spiritual transformation. Sometimes the, what I'm going to be looking at today is meditation, and I know you're all longing for me to, to sit down and cross my legs to see how that goes uh, and do that. That's not what I'm going to do today, okay? That's not on the agenda. Uh, I'm going to talk about biblical meditation, okay? And it's very different from uh, any other form of meditation during the rounds. But nonetheless, it's a tool that God uses to bring you closer to Him, to, to open up your mind for spiritual transformation, to use the gifts that God has given us to engage in spiritual transformation in our lives. Now, that might look very different for every person in here. It's easy maybe for me as a minister. I get to sit in my study and, and my ivory tower and go on to Logos and do this, that, and the next thing. But I, I, I say a, a woman at home with three children, and how in the world do you meditate? Well, it's all very different, and I'm not going to be prescriptive about how you do that. But the point I want to try and highlight today more than anything else is that it's good for you. And we will see how it relates to other spiritual disciplines, as they may be called. And I I have an issue with the word spiritual disciplines, in a way, because it might communicate some, some rigidity with all of these gifts that God uses and gives us to use for spiritual change in our lives. Okay? Now, uh, a quote, here's where I'm showing a sign of my age. I'm 50, by the way, and no, I'm not wearing a wig, and I do not dye my hair. (laughs) Just for the record. D.A. Carson, he's got a two-volume book called The Love of God. And in one of these books, he says this, and this is really important. And I need you to listen, because really what I want you to do is to engage yourself uh, and in your relationship to God. This is really important for you. And I think it's one of these quotes, it's one of the best quotes I can find regarding what God wants to do in the life of the person, the follower of Jesus Christ. He says, people do not drift towards holiness. Apart from a grace-driven effort, people do not gravitate towards godliness, to prayer, obedience to Scripture, faith, and delight in the Lord. We drift towards compromise and call it tolerance. We drift towards uh, disobedience and we call it freedom. We drift towards superstition and we call it faith. We cherish the indiscipline of the loss of lost self-control and we call it relaxation. We slouch towards prayerlessness and delude ourselves into thinking we have escaped legalism. We slide towards godlessness and convince ourselves we 
have been liberated. Wow. Wow. And in a sense, to me, that just tells me a great deal about myself. Now, I want to underline this, and this is really important. Okay? I'm not trying to underline my reform credentials. Okay? Not doing that. But listen, I need you to listen. What, I'm, what, I'm, what I mean is this. That you are saved by grace. It's written in the scriptures. You are saved by the grace of God. God's initiating power and grace towards you. A sinner, rebellious sinner, deep in your heart. Rebellious, anti-God, don't want God in your life. You are saved by grace alone through faith. But that does not mean that we sit on our hands and just say, well, we'll change by God's power. It means that we're called to come to engagement with this living God who loves us and who's, who laid down his life for us and wants to walk with us every day. Whether it's to the shop or whatever it might be, he wants to engage with you. But he, we need to remind ourselves, yes, we are saved by grace. And as Romans says, we also live by grace. But that grace means that he gives you the equipment and the power and the gifts to go to places that are truly phenomenal for your spiritual transformation and growth as a Christian. And one of these gifts in the spiritual disciplines is called meditation. Now, there are others, and uh, um, if you pick up books by Whiteney or Richard Foster or Mathis or others, there are others available, um, but nonetheless, there are, there are different things. Now, all of them are based upon the Scriptures, the Bible as a spiritual discipline is such a critical, central, foundational part to the rest of them and to understand the rest of these means of grace for spiritual transformation. So it's built on the Bible. Then you have meditation and prayer and fasting and study and solitude and silence, confession, service, submission, worship, fellowship, stewardship, perseverance and endurance evangelism, watchfulness, and celebration. You could probably add a couple more if you really wanted to, if you're really keen. But there's plenty to go on in terms of your walk with Jesus Christ. And so in a sense, that's where my passion has been coming from, driven by that, because there, are, there is less and less discipleship in the local church and there is less and less spiritual engagement from the pew sitter, okay? And we're continually being satisfied by people standing up here and proclaiming God's Word and thinking that that is all that is required. And we will not truly, really discover spiritual transformation unless we begin to engage with it ourselves. I hope you see that. You can, you can say amen or whatever you want. I don't mind if you do that. Okay. Um, I've been in Africa with Hugh and there's many a thing that they said. I don't understand what they said is a different language, but I'm sure it's good. Uh, but you, 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 you need to kind of follow me on this. You need to see that you're not called as a Christian to sit in your hands and be in a reformed church and agree with all the, the reformed doctrine of grace because grace calls you to follow. Grace is saying, come follow me. Come walk with me today. And that's really what drives me regarding uh, this whole idea of biblical meditation. 
So one person described biblical meditation like this. Meditation is one of the several gifts that the Lord gives us. And it's like an opportunity to drink at the well of his blessings. And that's a good way to begin to look at it. If you are thirsty, if you are thirsty right now, and you think to yourself, I'm going to go and grab a cup. (laughs) Where are you going to go? You're going to the places that you know that you can find tea. Or or maybe up here, because I've got one up here, which is great. I like having a cup of tea when I'm preaching. Sorry about that. <clears throat> Slurp. Hopefully I'm making you thirsty now. But you can go and get a drink of tea or coffee. Or you go somewhere else where you can get a drink of water. You go to places that you know, that you know, that you can have your thirst quenched. That's what the spiritual disciplines or the means of grace of spiritual transformation are all about. You go to these places that you know that are God-given and that God will bless you as you seek him there. Now, David Mathis calls meditation, the chapter on meditation in his book, can't remember the title, but it's close to means of grace, but it's, it's something else. Um, can't remember it offhand. But anyway, David Mathis, that's all you need to know. He called this chapter on meditation Warming yourselves at the fire of meditation. What a great picture. uh, Whiteney calls it the deep thinking of the truths and spiritual realities revealed in Scripture for the purpose of understanding, application, and prayer. Now, here's the thing. When you look at the Hebrew word, hagah, Something like that. Uh, it sounds kind of almost Gallic-y, so, um, um, and siach is, an, is another word. And both of these words together work in, I'll get this right, I'll go to my notes now because this is more important to get this right uh, so I don't have somebody at the door collect, uh, correcting me for my mistakes. Uh, and so you translate it as to muse, to be occupied with, to be concerned about, to meditate, to moan over, or deep groaning, to speak and to think. So it covers a lot of areas. Okay, now, hold your thoughts here, because this is really important. Now, negatively speaking, you can meditate wrongly on the wrong things. Proverbs 24 says, The hearts devise or study violence and destruction. (gasps) The same word, haga, is used there. We can think and devise destructive things. So we can use meditation wrongly, especially when someone has just offended us deeply or done something really badly wrong in our lives, and we kind of start thinking and mulling over, especially when we get to bed and we can't sleep and we're really annoyed that someone spoke to me like that. How dare they? And we begin to think in that way and use our mind negatively. So maybe you've been doing that? Okay, I have guilty as charged, but the Lord brings his revelation to me and says, no, no, the meditation that you're really meant to be using and using it for is for me, to, uh, the revelation of myself for your good and for your spiritual transformation. So you get the idea. Uh, spiritual transformation happens through the means of grace of Christian meditation. I need to clarify this now and underline it, circle it, color it yellow in your mind, whatever color you like, blue, green, doesn't matter. Biblical meditation is not about emptying your mind. 
It's not about sitting in a certain position and stretching and relaxing and emptying your mind. Biblical meditation is always, always, always filling your mind with what you lack most. The truth and the presence and the blessings of God. That's when you look at meditation through Scripture, that's what the psalmist and every, the psalmist will, will talk about. It's filling their mind with the presence and truth of God that sets you free. That's it. And so we need to differentiate, I'm afraid, the, the different versions of, of uh, meditation. Biblical meditation is the exact opposite of what has been shared around us, around the world now about meditation. And so when the, when the word meditation is mentioned, even in, in Reformed churches, we kind of hyperventilate a wee bit. <laughs> but it's all about filling your mind for the renewal of your mind by the truth of God that changes your thinking, your patterns of behavior, uh, especially because you're now being filled with the presence and the truth of God. One writer said that meditation that is truly Christian is guided by the gospel, shaped by scriptures, reliant on the Holy Spirit, and exercised by faith. Now, don't have to put your hands up, but I'm just going to kind of throw this out there. Uh, I'll put my hand up for you, okay? Um, who would like to read the Bible more and better? Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm there, Definitely. I'm there, not just to preach sermons, but to read it myself, and to, to do what? Uh, well, I'll, I'll bridge it in a second, but there's another thing that I would like to do better, and that's prayer. I would like to pray more. I would like to pray better. Sometimes I find myself praying, and I'm rather selfish in my prayers, and so I'm actually Something is happening with my prayer that I'm not learning to listen to listen for the voice of God and the guidance of God and submit to God in prayer more. It's, a, it's my requests and requests and requests. Now, why does that happen? Well, I believe meditation in the biblical sense gives you a little clue. Now, I'm going to quote Tim Keller, as you should, uh, and others. But nonetheless, in his book on prayer, it's interesting that he actually said this about meditation. Meditation, biblical meditation, is a bridge discipline between hearing from God in his word and responding to him in prayer. Okay, so if I can give you a, a visual description. I used to be a bouncer, so this is quite easy. Pulls them together, and it's the bridge between the two. Let's talk. We receive God's word. We're hearing his truth. And we're now, it's now coming out in a different way because of meditation. Because you're able to meditate on his word day and night. It's why we didn't read Psalm, 100, uh, Psalm 63. Uh, but the reference here for you today is to, to think about the scriptures in Psalm uh, 77. Several times there you see the whole idea of meditation. Okay, so read that in, in your own time. But nonetheless, the, the joy of meditation is this, that it focuses on God's Word and, and it helps you and trains you and blesses you in your prayer life. Okay, bridge discipline. That's for you. That's God's gift for you. Do you use that? 
When did you last think deliberately about meditation? Biblical meditation. What has happened to the church that we don't even think that that's a good thing? It's in the Bible. It's in the Scriptures. And, and you can see why they do it. And so sometimes I find myself when I'm, when I'm just deeply troubled, I go to Psalm 40 and I have the metrical version, the singing version in my mind. Um, I waited for the Lord my God and patiently did bear. At length to me he did incline my voice. And I'm, I'm in a muddy pit today, Lord. I'm stuck in this pit. Lord, hear my voice. Put my feet on a rock. And I meditate on the last time and the time before that and the time before that. The Lord did that in my life. And I'm asking again, Lord, as I meditate on your word, I know and I know that your word says that your, your promises are yea and amen and I trust you. That's what meditation does with the word. It begins to come to you and bless his word to you and it transforms your mind and your thinking and therefore it also changes your prayer life too. And so that's the point I really wanted to get across to you. William Bates said something very similar um, when he says the critical role of the spiritual discipline of meditation is the great reason why our prayers are so ineffectual is because we do not meditate on God's truth before them. Thomas Manton said, the word feedeth meditation and meditation feedeth prayer. Meditation must follow hearing the word and precedes prayer. What we take in by the word, we digest by meditation and let out by prayer. Now, Thomas Watson, not Tom Watson, the golfer. Thomas Watson, <laughs> a great divine of many years ago, not around uh, with us on this earth at least, uh, but he also said something else which Mathis, I think, uses. The reason we come away so cold from reading God's Word is we do not warm ourselves at the fire of meditation. We do not sit and sup and drink at the Word and think over it and chew it over and allow it to shape our thinking and our habits and our prayer lives. Now, I, I, I will qualify. My opportunity to meditate might be very different to sit down and, and think of God's Word in that way. It might be very different to a busy, uh, a busy um, wife and, and mother with three ch young children. But you take your moments. And one of the things I found in, in the quietness of the moment is this. When I'm driving my car with my kids, what happens? Now, one is 21, 18, 19, and uh, 14. Every time they come in the car, phones are out. Plug it in. The beats are on. And I'm driving to, uh, I don't know what's playing, but I'm just zoned out anyway. <laughs> and so when I drop them off at wherever they're doing going and, and, and things, I switch the radio off. I just switch the radio off and I drive. I'm getting old when I'm driving in silence. And I use these moments when I can. Just to think about God's word when I can. When I can. I don't always do it, but when I can. Especially when I need to do it. I, I just do it in these moments. So I look out for the moments when I can do it. When I'm uh, not, my phone's not ringing or when I'm not in the study. Or you can do it when you walk your hills or, or whatever you want to do. Okay? 
But it's such a joy to be able to do it. It liberates your thinking. It renews your mind. And it, it also sets your imagination free. Your imagination is something that is held captive continually um, by our television screens and our imagination. Uh, if, you wanna, if you're driving a Vauxhall like me and you would prefer to drive a Mercedes, they'll tell you you deserve it. Use your imagination. You deserve this Mercedes. Come and buy me. And our imaginations start running wild. We're, we're, all of that is being attacked daily in your life. And so all I'm saying in terms of the renewal of the mind, your imagination is also very important. But your imagination regarding God's word, when it begins to apply to you, is absolutely critical for your spiritual transformation. And I'm saying this to you because you need it, and I need it. We need it daily in our lives. Because if you look at the Bible's warnings, there are wolves around coming to, seeking to devour the followers of Jesus Christ. You need to be spiritually aware, spiritually switched on. No, not just to the, the threats around us, out there, but also from within here. Because meditation, biblical meditation, is like a light to your soul. Because it also focuses on your rebellious attitudes and, and actions. And it calls us to a place of repentance which frees us and liberates us from our own willful, destructive desires. And there are many elements that you can focus on. You can focus on the character of God. You can focus on several different things. You can look at creation and marvel at God's creation. You can praise God for his creation. You can do so many different things. But for me, meditation is described beautifully in the words. When you are applying God's word to your life in the moment by moment, you get the opportunity to do so. If you can use your imagination, uh, empowered by the Holy Spirit in these moments when you're reading the scriptures, uh, as one person described it, it's as if you are touching the hem of his garments, that you are caught up in the moments when you are touching his garments, Jesus' garments, and your, your mind and your life is so utterly transformed, like the woman who had the issue of blood, her life with that simple touch was transformed. If you can see Scripture as life-transforming, powerful for your life, for every day, for every moment, for in the fears or in the walks, uh, as you're walking down the valley of the shadow of death, or whether things are going superbly well, you've got a new job or whatever it might be. Trust me, you need to meditate on God's Word, train yourself to do it as best as you can, uh, and, and allow it to transform your thinking and your way uh, uh, that you will go in your life. So you can meditate on the person of God. You can meditate on the works of God. You can meditate day and night, as the psalmist himself said. But there are different results beginning to materialize from you as a person, as a follower of Jesus Christ, as an apprentice disciple of Jesus. And that is obedience to him. Trusting him. Celebrating him, enjoying him who is the king of kings, who transcends all things, but yet draws near and walks with you every day. That's mind-blowing. That God of grace who loves you and saves you and wants you to walk with him and walk with him in the heat of the day or the cool of the night. He loves you. 
Why wouldn't I meditate on him who laid down his life for me? Who shed his blood for me on the cross? Why wouldn't I think about him who saved me from the destruction of eternal lostness? Why wouldn't I want to be transformed by him? So meditation, in a sense, then, is that moment that that the Lord uses these gifts to you. It gives you gifts to use every day, spiritual gifts, spiritual disciplines, all the same thing. Ultimately, their focus and foundation is always on God himself, the one who promises, the one who truly satisfies the soul, the one who will bring you to a closer walk with him and give you a confidence in your faith. A trust in him, a delight in him that stimulates your prayer life with him and to him. It really is. Um, the words, I, I can't remember where they are. Um, it, it's delighting in God's word in such a way that we're focusing on Christ daily just to see him ooze through uh, our lives um, in whatever way we can. So you need to water your soul in the light of biblical meditation because you are a disciple of Jesus and you need the water of life. You need Jesus himself transforming you but you need to be a person who's willfully doing this. Um, I don't really like the picture of of, uh, an angry God whipping you into the kingdom because he is a God of grace. He loves you. He knows every weakness that you have. You know, when I was a young kid, and I'll kind of close with this because I think it's important. When I was growing up as a young kid, my mother used to call me a mistake. Okay? And if you saw me, you'd believe that I believed that she was right. And so the way I acted and lived and fought with every single person, uh, that's how I lived. And so my whole rebellious life uh, was one of a fight to prove, to prove, to prove. And even as a minister, trying to prove that I can preach a sermon, that's murder. Trying to be a free church minister and speaking like other free church ministers uh-uh, wrong answer. God has called you and gifted you. But go back to this whole idea of being called a mistake. Why is it important to realize that when the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, comes into your vicinity as a prodigal God seeking a prodigal son or a prodigal daughter, is that he knows everything about you. And he knows one thing, that you're no mistake. And the pleasure that I have each day is to know that he is my Lord, my Savior. And that in his sacrificial love, he laid down his life for me. And I want to know him more. And that is really simply my call to you today. Do you want to know him more? Well, Stop sitting on your hands. Get into the Bible. Meditate on the word. Pray some. Do a bit of fasting, uh, tune your ear to the voice of God, 
and, and, and. Use all these gifts because they're God's gift for you. All right? God bless you. We'll pray. Lord God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and uh, we ask that as we think about it, and um, not only from Psalm 63, but Psalm 77, the whole idea of meditation, meditating on you, your character, your love, your grace, your majesty, and all of these things, I pray that you would train us and help us in every part of our lives to be submitting to you. Uh, Lord, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your loving kindness that broke through the steely heart that I had towards you and towards truth. But Lord, we celebrate salvation for a person who has been following Jesus Christ for 50, 60 years and grew up in in the church. They're no less a miracle of grace than anybody like myself who was far away. And that is the joy that we have. And you love us and you lay down your life for us, but you want want us to walk with you, the resurrected Lord and King. And you want us to know you more. And we thank you for these gifts of grace that you give us, that we can go on in our lives and be spiritually transformed from day to day and help us to bring it into our workspace, our families, our church life, all of the different things that we do. I pray that it will breathe and and ooze through our, our lives as we seek to live for your glory. And we pray for this. Pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.